This podcast is brought to you by Recontract, the leading software to automate your reconditioning process. From vehicles to people to parts, Recontract streamlines every touchpoint in your recon process. Visit recontract.com slash AN to learn more. That's R-E-C-O-N-T-R-A-C dot com slash AN. Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, March 6, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, Ford will offer a second EV battery type with lower cost and range. More price cuts for Tesla. And U.S. auto sales were stronger than expected in February. Plus, a look at how well each brand's dealers respond to online inquiries and why it's so important for both retailers and automakers. If you rely only on calling the customer or only emailing or only texting, you're going to miss a bunch of your customers. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Ford says it will offer two different battery chemistries on its electric vehicles in the coming months. That's as the automaker introduces a lower cost and shorter range alternative to the packs it uses today. Right now, all Ford EVs are equipped with batteries using a nickel-cobalt-manganese chemistry. Starting this spring, Ford will offer the less expensive lithium-iron-phosphate chemistry on its Mustang Mach-E. This battery chemistry will come to the F-150 Lightning next year. Ford's Global Director of Electrified Systems Engineering, Charles Poon, talked about the two chemistries on the automaker's EV Battery Show web series. All of the LFP benefits are attractive for certain kinds of customers, such as business owners who run the same routes with their vehicles over and over again and charge frequently, or someone who mainly uses their EV on shorter routine commutes, like dropping the kids off at school and going to work. We believe there's an advantage to having both types of batteries, NCM and LFP in the Ford lineup. Poon says EVs with standard range batteries will automatically get the lithium iron phosphate chemistry, while extended range models will continue to use nickel cobalt manganese batteries. Tesla is slashing prices of its Model S sedan and Model X crossover in the U.S. by $5,000 and $10,000 respectively. The Model S all-wheel drive is now $90,000 and the Model X all-wheel drive is now under $100,000. The latest moves come even after Tesla drastically cut prices in January in a broad bid to boost sales. At just under $110,000, Plaid iterations of the Model S and Model X now cost $26,000 and $29,000 less than they did in early January. Musk said last week that demand for Teslas was essentially infinite and that the only factor limiting sales growth was price. Industry-wide, the pace of new vehicle sales improved in February compared with a year ago, as previously sidelined demand, including that from fleet customers, kept transaction prices high and incentives low. That's even as inventory shortages eased. Analysts say they're seeing the early signs of a slight reversion to more historically normal conditions. Data firm Motor Intelligence estimated February's seasonally adjusted annualized sales rate at 15.2 million. That's up from just under 14 million a year earlier. January's rate was 16.2 million, the fastest in more than a year. LMC Automotive said industry-wide February sales rose 9.5% from a year earlier. That's including automakers who won't report sales until the end of the quarter. 
February showing, along with continued demand from fleet customers, convinced LMC to raise its outlook for U.S. sales in 2023 to $15 million, up from $14.9 million. And Lordstown Motors posted a bigger loss for the fourth quarter. The electric vehicle maker struggled with production costs and missed its delivery target for the endurance pickup truck in the period. The company said Monday that its net loss widened to more than $100 million from about $80 million a year earlier. The results included an impairment charge of about $37 million caused mainly by a decrease in its stock price. In September, when its commercial production commenced, Lordstown had said it aimed to deliver 50 vehicles in 2022 out of the planned first batch of 500 units. But it made only 31 trucks for sale last year and suspended production of the endurance due to performance and quality issues with some components. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, Auto Canada's net income dropped almost 80% in the fourth quarter. Are they dealing with the same struggles like the American dealership groups in that market? You know, quite a bit. It's a, a lot of similarities between the two markets. And Auto Canada has some exposure in the U.S. You know, the profits uh, fell by about $55 million. And, uh, you know, it was pretty evenly split, or about half of it, I should say, uh, came from some headwinds that would be very familiar to U.S. dealers. Part of it was for uh, writing down the value of its used vehicle inventory, uh, because, of course, uh, the value of used vehicles has fallen so much in recent months. And the other part was extra inventory costs, interest expense for their floor plan, for carrying inventory on their lots. Uh, certainly, that's something we're going to see a lot more of from U.S. dealers throughout this year. Interesting. Coming up... We'll hear how the dealers for each brand respond to online customer inquiries and why that's such a big deal in the digital age. That's next on Daily Drive. Across the Hendrick Automotive Group, each store had a different reconditioning process. They started looking for a solution that would help them standardize their processes, give them actionable information, and ultimately drive efficiency. Knowing they needed to bring together all pieces of their operation to cut cycle times down to their goal of three days, they chose ReconTrack. Chris Little, Vice President of Variable Operations, explains why having the tools to measure your recon process gives you what you need to manage it more effectively. Everyone knows speed uh, to the front line uh, equates to more turns, which helps the overall company do better in terms of parts service and inventory bias. And so uh, when you can really take the time to measure and manage that uh, and perfect that, uh, you're going to increase your turns, you're going to increase your gross profit, and you're really just going to increase the amount of used cars you can sell uh, because you're getting them out on the front line. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Cadillac stores scored highest in the annual Pied Piper PSI Internet Lead Effectiveness Study. The survey measures speed and quality of responses to Internet customer inquiries of dealerships. Pied Piper said it submitted inquiries to more than 5,400 dealership websites. It posed specific questions and gave a score out of 100 based on how well each store responded over the next 24 hours. I recently spoke with Pied Piper CEO Fran O'Hagan. I reached him at his office in Monterey, California. Fran O'Hagan, welcome to Daily Drive. Good to be here. So, you know, back when I was in high school and I worked at the grocery store, uh, we used to have secret shoppers uh, who would come through to evaluate us. I, 
it seemed to me like mostly they were there to make sure that uh, uh, high schoolers were checking IDs on uh, alcohol and tobacco. You do sort of a digital secret shopper process to evaluate how responsive dealers are to online shopper inquiries. What did the 2023 results show you? We've been measuring web response, dealer web response to web customers now for 13 years and publishing these studies, ranking the brands from top to bottom. If you think back 13 years ago, during that time period, things have changed pretty dramatically. You know, back then it was, hey, yeah, we have an internet department and Joe over there in the corner, he handles all of the internet inquiries. And of course, now all of the customers first come to a dealership through the dealer website. That's just the way that we shop today. And it really is because of smartphones. It's not because of websites. You know, we wander around the world today holding this in our hand. And whether we're shopping for food or homes or cars, we start with a website. So it's incredibly important that dealerships respond quickly and completely and personally to customers who reach out to them through the websites. That's what we've been doing. The 2023 results, uh, the highest score that we've seen in 13 years. So the dealers are doing a better job. But if you ask me, hey, is there room for improvement? Why, yes, there is. There's a lot of room for improvement. There are definitely dealerships that do an excellent job, but there still are plenty that still have room to improve. Well, let's take a look at, at Cadillac. It improved quite a bit. How big of a surprise was that, uh, both the, the magnitude of the improvement and the fact that Cadillac won? It really wasn't as much of a surprise. And that's because since 2019 or so, I would say, Cadillac has been on an upward trend with how their dealers handle web inquiries. And they did very well last year as well, just not first. But yes, their performance was excellent. It's consistent across the board. They have more dealers who score very high and they have fewer dealers who score really low. So if you add those things together, that's really a recipe for why they finished at the top. So maybe not a huge surprise because they've been making such good progress, but it is their first win and even the first win for any traditional American brand. That's true. That's true. It's been German and Japanese up until now. Is the, the 2023 results, those are those reflect sort of the performance in 2022? Is it a full year kind of look? That's right. It starts, let's say, mid-year in 2022 and continues on until early 2023. Is there a significant difference in the responsiveness of the luxury brands compared with mainstream brands? You know, there used to be. If it were four or five years ago, the answer to that would be yes. Uh, today, though, if you look through the rankings from top to bottom, you're going to see mainstream brands sprinkled up at the top and you'll see luxury brands you know, down toward the bottom. So it's really less of an issue. It's really, I would tell you, it's really more consistency. So if you have a dealer network that does a pretty good job consistently, they don't have dealers who are failing, um, they tend to score better. Uh, of course, you saw a lot of uh, progress across the board, which I would like to think makes a lot of sense that everyone's getting more serious, more attentive to the online shoppers. But tell me about Polestar. What happened there? Last year, Polestar achieved the lowest score we'd ever seen. And 
if you're familiar with the Polestar uh, dealer network, fairly small, but it's franchise dealers. And it really was problems, you know, structural problems with how the leads were being delivered to the dealers. In some cases, the dealers weren't receiving the leads. But to give Polestar credit, they jumped all over the issue and their improvement was also the highest we've ever seen. So they <laughs> went from being all the way at the bottom to being in the top third of the 37 brands that we measured. Yeah, I mean, they were plus 49. Yes. Which, you know, 49 only beats a few brands. But aside from those very bottom brands, I mean, most of the scores are in the 50s and 60s. So to gain almost 50 points yes. is Pretty, pretty spectacular. And I would say you probably haven't seen the last of them. I know that as an organization, they're working on improving even further. Well, you'd think for a, a small startup brand like that, this would be hugely important for them be, being responsive because they don't have they don't have a store on every, you know, every in every town in America. They don't have decades. Uh, I mean, I know Polestar has been a a sub brand of Volvo in the past and all that, but it's it's not like Americans are like, oh, what kind of car should I get, a Polestar or a Ford? Boy, I think you're so right. Um, if you think about the EV brands in general, if you asked any of us before they appeared, okay, there's going to be an EV brand that either doesn't have any retail locations in one case, or has few re retail locations. Gee, how do you think they'll do when it comes to interacting with customers who reach out through the website? I mean, one would think that they would be superior. It'd be their highest priority. Exactly. Yeah. And up until now, that really hasn't been the case. And to give a brand like Tesla credit, they made it extremely easy. If you knew exactly what you wanted to buy, they made it extremely easy to go to their website and click on a few buttons. And two minutes later, you had ordered a Model 3. Nobody else had done that. So as long as people are willing to do to click on the button and order it without considering anything else, without having any questions, without you know being on the fence, then all is well. But maybe as the, as the brand reaches out and attracts buyers who aren't innovators, who know exactly what they want, maybe it's time to be a little more effective with how they're interacting with their shoppers. Yeah. I mean, it's just shocking, you know, looking at the at the bottom of, of the list here for 2023. I mean, you know, Fiat is a 54, Rivian's 48, Tesla is 38, and Lucid is 30. And and I guess the Lucid one, obviously they're they're very small and they're very new, but to sell such a high-end product and be so reliant on online shopping, it just um, was, was really shocking. It's a missed opportunity. Again, plenty of room for improvement. So one of the things I, I find interesting is that you study dealers' performance, but your main clients are mostly the brands. How do they use your insights in their relations with their dealers or in their support of their dealers? So if you think about it, when it comes to something like web response, that is absolutely critical for the brands too, not just the dealers. Um, and the brands have the advantage of having the, you know, the 40,000 foot view. They get to see, hey, we have 20%, 30% of our dealers are struggling with this. And on the other hand, a third of our dealers are doing a really good job with this. So it's something where maybe the OEMs are able to introduce solutions that the dealers can then use. What else is going on? What are the big changes happening in 
retail, in digital retail, you know, over these last few years since COVID in particular? Sure. So COVID gave digital retail, DR, absolutely a boost without any question. Now, it was already underway before COVID, but yes, absolutely gave it a boost. But if you talk to the dealers who are very successful with digital retail, they will tell you that it's not about fancy software. They will tell you that it's all about processes at the dealership. And if you think about it, really the key to success for digital retail is assisted digital retail, where you have a real live human being at the dealership who, let's call it, holds the hand of the shopper as they go through the process, either by phone or by chat or texting or whatever it is. You know, there's some customers who don't need that, but many do. Many, if given a chance to have somebody standing by to help them as they go through that funnel, those steps, they benefit from it. And when they come to the dealership, whether they're doing the shopping at the dealership or, or at home, it really is the same. The difference just is that they're, they're sitting at a desk with the person as opposed to chatting or, or texting. But the big lesson is no fancy software solution. It's, it, it does involve human beings still. Well, I mean, it makes so much sense when you say it because, you know, I filled out a lot of forms in my life online and you just, you get to a question or a, a, a use of a word and you're like, well, what do you mean by that? And when you're just staring at your computer at one in the morning, you, there's no one to ask and you can get really frustrated. But if there's someone you say, oh, income, you know, do you mean my whole family or do you mean my personally or, you know, just whatever the question is, it's. To have someone you can say, you know, how do we mean this? And like, oh, okay. And then you know, and you can proceed confidently. That makes so much sense. You also mentioned uh, when we were talking before that, you know, really texting has become so, such an important part of the process. Tell me a little more about that. It's been fascinating. So all of us, if we think back five, six, seven years ago, if we took our car in for service, we would still get a text, hey, your car's done, come and get it. The service department was using texting before the sales department. Um, but over the past five years, that's changed. Now the sales department is using it too. And the incidence of using it to respond to web customers from last year till this year, huge jump. So from 46% of the time to 61% of the time, texts are being sent to these uh, car shoppers. And if we look specifically at, hey, was texting used to answer the customer's question, the web customer? that jumped from 14% to 24% industry-wide in one year. So dealers are definitely using texting, but the, the truth is still that it's best to respond to your customers using a bunch of paths, not just one. The if you rely only on calling the customer or only emailing or only texting, you're going to miss a bunch of your customers. I presume tech people are very responsive to texting, but like you said, you hit them on all three and then, then you don't miss them. That's it. And, and however the customer responds, they voted with their feet. That's what you're going to use to communicate <laughs> back and forth with them. In the old days, we would ask them, hey, how would you like us to communicate with you? Those days are gone. Judge them by their actions, not by their words. That's it. All right. Fran O'Hagan, CEO of Pied Piper, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Jamie. Take care. You can read more about Pied Piper's Internet Lead Effectiveness Study at autonews.com. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. 
And I'm Callan Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer, as well as our own Michael Martinez, Larry Valquette, and Paige Hodder for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on retail, battery manufacturing, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with SELA CEO Gene Berdachevsky about his company's materials breakthrough and how he went from a childhood in Ukraine to a pioneer in the early days of Tesla. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.